Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. Today's cool fact of the day is only slightly macabre. It turns out that your hair and your fingernails keep growing even after you die. Don't really know what use that is for biohacking, but it's kind of cool to know. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD plus even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD+, risk-free, for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use. For more than 20 years, Michael Fishman's been the leading advisor on marketing, positioning, and strategy for health and wellness and personal development, things like that. He started out with Rodale, with the prevention and men's health brands, and he's worked with some people I really admire, like Dr. Andrew Weil, Dr. Mark Hyman, uh, who I happened to sit next to at a recent conference that Michael put on, as well as Deepak Chopra, uh, Dr. Christine Northrup, uh, even Dr. Dean Ornish, and a lot of other guys. So Michael Fishman's kind of the man when it comes to this stuff. He also runs Consumer Health Summit, which is this amazing conference. It's an invitational-only forum for CEOs, entrepreneurs, and other people in the health business that's been running straight since 1994. He also just put together BehaviorCon along with Ramit Sethi. And this is a new conference on marketing and consumer psychology. 
starting in August 23rd and 24th in Stanford, Connecticut. This is going to be pretty cool. I've been to the Stanford neuromarketing conferences that happen, and I've been paying attention to this for quite a while because the way marketing companies talk to you is the same way that you should learn to talk to yourself so you can get the decision-making inside your head working right. You also see Michael Fishman around as a popular speaker on how marketing and language and customer care and things like that work. So this is a guy that I've, I've worked with personally and someone I've, I've come to admire. Uh, Michael, welcome to the show. Hey, Dave. Wonderful to be here. Thank you. One of the reasons I wanted to have you on is that you've changed your diet pretty radically in the last 18 months. So tell me your story a little bit so our listeners can hear it and just what you've done. Sure. Uh, well, it's, it's wonderful to be here. And, and what you're really pointing to is in March of 2012, it was actually 60 days before the Consumer Health Summit in 2012. And I realized that while I was healthy and, and you know, doing quote-unquote fine, I really wasn't representing health and wellness the way I really wanted to, to lead an event about health and wellness. Um, so I drew this line in the sand 60 days before Consumer Health Summit in 2012, and I dropped... Um, I, I discontinued any consumption of sugar and any sweetener whatsoever, uh, gluten, alcohol, and caffeine all in one day. And also started walking five or six miles a day. And I sustained all of that you know, for a very long time. In fact, um, those, those dietary choices that I make, mind you, I said choices, not restrictions. Um, those dietary choices have maintained uh, to this day with a few small modifications. But um, so, you know, I, I, I essentially wanted um, those substances out of my body. I was not really symptomatic with celiac disease or any uh, stomach discomfort. I just, you know, I wanted gluten out because I thought I'd get better cognitive function, just better brain function, better focus, um, any internal inflammation that had no symptoms, but if there was any of that, I just thought that erasing gluten would help. Um, and uh, I, I, re I really just wanted to get those sorts of substances, you know, per the recommendations of Mark Hyman, Daniel Amen. I just decided it was time to uh, to do something bold. Um, and so that's that's what I've done. I mean, just and just really to to fast forward really quick. Um, you know, I will have a glass of wine once or twice a month. It's not an addictive substance, so it doesn't trigger me to have more the next day or later that night. Um, and I've also been, uh, on the Bulletproof diet, your protocol for, you know, uh, like three or four months now. So, uh, so I have been drinking coffee, caffeine also, I've never been a huge coffee person, so no problem there, and I'm enjoying bulletproof coffee. But um, but sweeteners of any description and gluten, have, uh, I I remain off of uh, for whatever it is, 17, 18 months. So what what are the experiences you had? You weren't super overweight to start with, right? I wasn't, but um, I'm six one, maybe a little, maybe a little uh, hair higher than six one, and so it was probably well distributed. But it's one of those things where, I, when I look back at the photos from that time, I can really see the difference now that I've lost about twenty twenty to twenty two pounds since that time. Um, and you know, my 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 energy, my focus have increased. I can't say dramatically, but you know, my overall wellness, my overall. Um, attention and focus 
um, and, and energy are definitely up. I think the biggest, the biggest, um, the biggest uh, sense of myself, the biggest assessment I would have is just around personal confidence to have made dramatic changes and stuck with it um, for a long period of time really shows you that you can, it's just an example and and helps build your muscle for initiating and sustaining any change in your life. Um, So that's, so just, just uh, in terms of my relationship to myself and my personal integrity to have made that decision, to have done it and stuck with it has been a huge thing with a lot of other ripple effects, um, you know, around my life. So it gave you a sense of control of your life. I, I, yeah, I think so, Dave. Um, you know, control, controls is, is probably a good catchphrase for a lot of the results. Um, but, uh, you know, I think when, when, when you make a change and sustain it, really keep it going for a long period of time with every passing day, you build more of a sense of, of, of control that your destiny really is in your own hands, that you aren't a victim of circumstance or anything outside of yourself. Um, and you know, the, I think the language the, the like you talked in the introduction about how we talk to ourselves, you know, for me, if somebody asks me, do you, you know, would you like some cake or would you like to have dessert, whether that's a, a server in a restaurant or a friend, I just say, you know, no, thank you. I don't eat that. I, I don't say I can't um, because can't is just another form of, you know, being a victim of some external person or, or circumstance or regulation, whereas saying I don't really puts you at the controls of your own life and it becomes a conscious, powerful choice. Um, and, and so the, the language that you assign to the preservation of these habits, I, I think makes a big difference in, in terms of your ability to, to make the choice to, to either start something or stop something and then to sustain that choice. I I love that you think along those lines because the word can't is incredibly toxic to, I would say almost to your nervous system in that you might consciously know, well, when I say can't, I really mean I don't want to, but there's parts of your brain that aren't that smart that hear what you're saying and they, they kind of go crazy when they hear that stuff because can't has a defined meaning. Yeah. Well, it, and absolutely it, look, it keeps you on the rails. You know, it, I mean, the human condition is fragile. As we all know, the default mode for human being is, is not necessarily a, a highly powerful place to be in, you know, I mean, human beings do lots of things that are not necessarily wonderful in terms of self-preservation. You know, we, you know, we endlessly uh, are collecting evidence for our own insufficiency in one way or another. And that's true of human beings in virtually every culture of the world. Um, so to, so to actually make a conscious choice to be on a higher road, um, you know, is, is important. And, and the way in which we do that is, whether in in thinking with ourselves or in languaging it out loud to others, you know the, the word choices are what really frame um, our 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 choice for our mindset and and how to maintain our habits. You know, I think language is a is a an overwhelmingly huge part of that. All right. So one of the things that you talked about was that you beat sugar addiction and that you pretty much were eating sugar and you just went cold turkey and you killed that. How did did you go about this specifically, just practically, but also what did you do inside your head or with your language that, that would have affected that? Well, 
Cool. Um, and, and yeah, correct. Sugar was, sugar, I didn't say this, but sugar was, as you point out, sugar was my real devil. That was the devil's substance. And it's funny because I never added sugar to coffee or tea. I never really used table sugar ever. But, you know, every day I would want the brownie or the cookie or the ice cream or just something to hit that spot, which of course was my brain clamoring for that experience or sensation or chemistry or whatever. Um, and, you know, you mentioned Ramit, and as Ramit Sethi and others have talked about, um, you know, willpower exists, you know, will, willpower is, is a, I guess, a mental power capability, but, you know, the research seems to show that willpower exists in limited quantities and that, you know, we only have limited stores of it. So really for me, and I knew that, and so I knew that it was, it wasn't, about willpower, but it was, ha- it was about having a commitment. I mean, for me, 60 days before Consumer Health Summit 2012, I made that commitment. And so it was much more about getting across the goal line in the month of May to lead that event. Than it w- so I just had my eyes on the prize. You know, I put my eyes 60 days out and with every passing day, I was closer to that finish line. You know, maybe something like what it takes to pedal through the Tour de France. I don't know, but I was all about the finish line, and that really took willpower off the table as an issue um, because I, I was just all about the finish line, getting to that event in whatever condition I would be in, you know, chemically, physically, et cetera. Um, and that helped a lot, you know, and, and even though I only had a 60-day goal at that time, I'm kind of like the marathon man. Like I'm like Forrest Gump going out for a run and then running, you know, 4,000 miles before I stop. I, I, like, I like the endurance of it. I'm not a runner, but I like these long tasks. And so, um, you know, after I hit 60 days, I just kept going. And now I'm like day 512 or something. But because um, I, I, I want every once in a while I check. But uh, so I, I think that's that's how I went about it. I drew the line in the sand. I said, okay, 60 days from now, this is the condition. This is the the condition that's, you know, this is what I will have achieved. And took willpower off the table. I think, I think that right there is, uh, is a big thing. I'm not sure I get it because, okay. <laughs> so you're saying you didn't want to use or, or waste a finite resource of willpower, which by the way, completely agree with that. Okay. But, but then you set a goal and you sort of used willpower to charge towards the goal and, and to you know, help you make it there. Weren't you burning up your finite willpower, willpower reserves just to make it to the goal? Well, maybe, maybe without even realizing it, I had stored enough willpower, kind of like squirrels with their nuts for the winter, that I was able to get through that 60 days and possibly I recharged and set a new goal when the 60 days had been achieved. Oh, okay. I'm just, I'm just thinking about that out loud with you. You know, there is a part of me that once I'm in a streak, I don't want to break the streak and my distaste for breaking the streak is bigger than any desire you know, for, for the, ah. for, you know, for the off limit stuff. So, so the dopamine maybe that you're getting from consistently winning, kind of like when you're on a streak at a blackjack table or something, maybe that was feeding you. So rather than using willpower, you were actually like sort of doing the runner's high thing, which is definitely in your psychology. Yeah. I, and I hadn't thought of it in those terms, but I, I, I love what you're pointing to Dave. but I think that's a great point. And, and it, you know, it's what powers me through to this day. I mean, I go to Whole Foods to get the kinds of things that I choose or that you would likely choose. And as you know, Whole Foods has plenty of brownies and plenty of ribs and plenty of all tons of stuff that are not bulletproof. 
Um, but I, I literally keep my eyes away from it because the desire hasn't gone away. Uh, you know, the desire is more the brain wanting to re-experience those tastes and flavors than it is a, a you know, a, a, like a chemistry. Thing. Chemistry is long, you know, I'm in the, I'm in the chemical equilibrium I'm in for, you know, way over a year. Um, but the, the desire, the, the memory for those pleasures and sensations I will probably always have. You know, I stopped eating fast food hamburgers probably five or six years ago, and I still have fond memories of Burger King, but it's just, you know, it's just not something that is, it's no longer okay to put that in my body. It's interesting to compare the perspective you just shared with, say, the four-hour body style cheat day where you just go out once a week and just eat garbage, like yeah. whatever you feel like. Yeah. You've gone 512 days. Have you considered an experiment of literally going to Whole Foods and just like eating a pound of cheesecake, six brownies, and you know two pints of ice cream, whatever else you know would have been your crack foods? Because it, just to show your body what you're going to feel like the next day. Yeah. Well, like I know Tim, and I've totally can. I mean, I think about the Tim's cheat day, you know, actually with some frequency, and I wonder if I could actually pull that off. And by pull it off, what I mean is. Could I, you know, fill myself with crap and then actually be back where I in the, you know, back in the bulletproof zone in the good zone the following day? And I've come to, re, I've, you know, I'm I'm really afraid to reintroduce sugar and sweets because I I feel as if I feel like somebody who's sober literally has given up alcohol and thinking, well, could I taste alcohol once a week and would that work? And I'm really treating sugar in the very same way as the powerfully addictive substance that we know it to be. Um, so I don't, I don't believe I have, I mean, and, and this is a matter of my relationship to myself. Right. I don't, I don't experience myself as someone who is trustworthy to, to, to sample sugary sweets and then, you know, d discontinue the following day. And so I don't do it. It, it would probably increase food cravings dramatically. And my experience with uh, eat garbage once a week, which I've, I've certainly done very early on when I was losing 100 pounds, it was kind of like, well, okay, it's Friday night or Saturday. I'm just going to go to town. And it, it took me several years to figure out like that I didn't return to baseline for five days after I did that. Yeah. Well, look, I, as I said, I can have a, a glass of red wine once, twice, even three times a month and not think about it the other 27 days. Yeah. And if I, if I could treat a dessert that way, I would because I don't, I don't think it would be horrible to have a, a sweet dessert you know, a couple times a month. It wouldn't. Um, but I don't trust myself to, to execute on that with any degree of integrity, so I don't do it. it, it that's the right call for you. Yeah. I've known a few people, actually including me, uh, who've gone out and reset that. In my own path, I'd go out and, and I said, okay, I've, I've been without sugar and without gluten and all this for exceptionally long periods of time. And then I'll say, I'm, I'm just going to kind of go crazy and I'll try it. In fact, after I read 4-Hour Body, I'm like, all right, I, I'm going to try one of the cheat days. And I did it on one Saturday and the next Saturday. And I said, you know, I... I, I should have known like the, what, what the effect this would have. And it tasted great. Like, like I ate a bunch of stuff, but then the reverberations lasted for a while. Right and, right. and the effect it had was actually an aversion creation. I can look at a bagel now, especially if I've had Bulletproof coffee or something. So my fat receptors are full. I look at a bagel and literally 
at the the most reptilian core of my being, my body says that's not food because it knows if I eat that, it's just going to whack me upside the head. Yeah, and yeah. It's kind of liberating to stop having willpower involved there. But you you don't do that. You're still going today saying that sugar's calling to me, but I'm not going to do it because I don't do that. Well, right. I mean, and it's it's in, it's interesting, as you know, and you know, as our as our as our you know those listening know, um, you know, the bagel turns into the same thing as the brownie turns into anyway. You know, I mean, bread and bread products uh, are no longer of any appeal to me. You know, it's it's it's, it's like a rock or a you know yeah. just any it's just <laughs> anything. It's just like not an edible product. Um, not cause it hurts me, but just cause it's no longer in my like nutritional vocabulary, but yeah, that, you know, the, sh- the sweet stuff still looks good, but I'm, the, the point is I have, I'm at zero risk of going off the rails, no risk. Beautiful. You know, that's the, that's the stage I'm in. And, and, uh, you know, people ask me about this all the time. And the point is that long after the body has restored, you know, it's, it's, it's equilibrium based on the absence of those chemicals, which is maybe, you know, hours or days, the brain is clamoring for that experience for months. At least mine was, Yeah. you know, so to get, to get to the point where people describe where they say, you know, feeling great is much more pleasurable than the pleasure of eating that stuff. And it actually took me like seven months to actually even experience the meaning of that very well-known quote. You know, it took it took a long time to get to the space of oh yeah, feeling this way is better than the experience of those foods or or you know whatever desserts. Um, so it was real interesting, but you know, just I mean, so you know, for, for and look, struggling with sugar is is universal. We know it's more addictive than cocaine um, or you know any of the things that that are you know illegal drugs you know i mean it it sugar pr- could probably never be released into the marketplace today based on its addictive properties and the you know the regulatory you know sort of w- what would come down on sugar if it was a new product you know would be unimaginable but you know the horses are way out of the barn on this one and so you know sugar will always be around and it's just a matter of self management to deal with it it's a universal issue, I think. Lots of people struggle with it. And, um, you know, the, the, the thing I would say to people that are really would want to give this, I don't want to say a try, but would, uh, would really like to make that commitment is to pick a, a milestone in the future that's important to you. It's kind of like when we hear about women, you know, wanting to fit into their wedding dress. That's a powerful motivator also. Um, but most people in their everyday life don't have that kind of milestone event two, three months away. But my point is, you know, pick one and make, you know, make it up. Um, and, and, and that might be very helpful to you. So that's one of the things that, that people can do if they're going to start out. Let's say you're listening to this for the first time and you've been thinking about maybe a low sugar diet, maybe even going bulletproof altogether. What do you recommend that people should do as their first step? other than set a goal 60 or 90 days out? Is there anything else to, to start out with? Well, I think, <clears throat> look, cold. we know cold turkey is, <clears throat> is the hardest thing. And, and you know, ironically, starting is, is almost harder than sustaining, you know, because just picking the day and actually starting, you know, because, you know, sometimes people pick a diet and they say, well, I'll start tomorrow, they'll start tomorrow. And every day they prolong the start, they're eating cake. And meanwhile, they, they make a decision to diet and they gain weight before they actually start, you know, it's kind of funny, but, um, you know, like deciding, choosing to start and actually starting is a, is a big step in and of itself. 
the other thing I would say is to is to wean yourself. You know, like get rid of cookies and like just eat apricots or some dried fruit. You know, for a couple of days or a week. You know, really, you know, you it's okay to wean yourself off pr- sweet processed foods with like some organic berries or some organic dried fruit, something like that, I think is very helpful as well. It's interesting you said get rid of cookies. One of the excuses that I hear from people a lot is, oh, yeah, I'm going to do it once I get rid of of all the bad stuff in my house. I just have to eat my way through it because I don't want to throw it away. And and you will never start that way because there's always going to be something bad. So I've gone to people's houses, some of my clients, and literally with a trash bag, we go through each room in the house, not just the kitchen. And it's like, okay, what's all the crap in your kitchen? We're taking this to the food bank. And right. then we go into the bathroom and say, what? why would you put that on your skin? Like it's full of things that are going to have to be filtered by your liver. You don't want that in your life either. It's not serving you. And literally right. you go through and when they're done, they realize how much money and how much energy they've spent on stuff that was moving the needle in the wrong direction. So, so there's a profound start. So when you say get rid of cookies, do you mean go through and toss it out? Or do you mean like, like how get rid of, do you mean get rid of? What an awesome question. And it's funny cause I wasn't even noticing my words, which I usually, uh, you know, I'm clear, like relatively precise, but, um, yeah, I, I, I certainly don't see the point of starting when you've actually eaten your way through the crap you shouldn't be eating anyway. You know, um, if it's a, you know, if you really add it up and it's a few dollars, you know, you'll recover those dollars in your health and your well-being and your attitude. You know, I think, you know, for most people, getting healthy at the level we're talking about generally shows up in other areas of their life like productivity, performance, income. You know, this is not an isolated phenomenon when you handle your body. A lot of other things sort of rise with that rising tide. No question about it. Um, and even if you're in a salary, you, you know, you, you, you'll, you'll be promoted. I mean, something great will happen. Um, so, no, uh, once you make that decision, whatever is inconsistent with that decision that's in your environment goes out, you know, like gets thrown away. You know, like B.J. Fogg at Stan- from Stanford, uh, who's a brilliant psychology professor who looks at our health habits, among other things, talks about how making a change is is actually more about changing your physical environment. Yeah. You know, uh, you know it's, it's as much about your physical environment as anything else. So I like your approach, which is do the clean sweep. Forget about, you know, that a half a box of Oreos costs, you know, $1.42 and just, you know, get rid of it and take a stand for the value of your own body and your own health and your own well-being. And that's, you know, that's, that, that's priceless. It's, it's kind of funny. I feel bad dropping off, you know, a, a bags of Oreos and clearly toxic MSG spice packets and all, even at a food bank. I understand eating that if you're starving is better than eating nothing, but I also know that those are going to lead to even worse food cravings and even more feelings of starvation. Uh, so I, I, I kind of look at those things as these are not food and I don't want to give them to people I don't like. Yeah. <laughs> Much less people I don't even know. Like, yeah. I, like, what do you do with these things? But at the same time, I do donate them to food banks because I know when you're starving, anything helps, but we need to stop making this stuff. Well, yeah, I, I mean, that's, I think that is a, that is a vision. It is something that, uh, all of us that are committed to that sort of thing can strive for, you know, I mean, just like a vision, just like a vision for a company, 
you know, a vision is, is a condition on the planet that we may not even achieve in our lifetimes, but it is worth waking up in the morning and being on the team that is looking to achieve that and taking whatever steps we can in our lifetime towards that outcome. So yeah, it, it, it literally is a vision. Um, and you know, there's a lot as we, as you know, and as you know, for our listeners, um, there's, you know, this food movement, there's big food, there's GMOs, there, you know, there's processed foods, there's, you know, everything that, uh, you know, all the kinds of things that we no longer consider food or appropriate to be added to our foods. There's lots of people, uh, assembling and, and gathering, uh, you know, to, to bring about the outcome you just described. And, um, there's plenty of ways for people to get involved, but, you know, once again, we're talking about people's habits. We're talking about addictions. We're talking about the price of food and the certain communities, people experiencing that they don't have the money to eat in a healthful manner, um, or just not having the availability of certain foods in their, you know, within a distance of their home that they can readily get it. So there, there are some physical challenges there, and then there are just some myths that people are living by which are not accurate. But there's a lot of work to be done, and, and uh, I agree with you. The ideal condition is for some of these things to, to not exist. Here's an example of something like that, and it's kind of appropriate because you're one of the early guys at Men's Health. When Men's Health magazine ran a, a profile of me, for which I'm, I'm really grateful, they had my photo there and, and top bulletproof tips and all that. But there was a, a wraparound ad, you know, one that goes around the bottom of the print page and along the side. Oh, yeah. For low-fat snack foods. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was kind of funny because the high-fat message was just slightly nuanced down in the Bulletproof recommendations uh, to a more eat-nutritious message. And, you know, I understand that there's always a tension between copy and advertising and all that. Uh, but... It just kind of made me smile. I wasn't offended or anything, but I look at the influence of, of you know, big food advertising, most of which, by the way, is far worse than whatever that that lower fat product was. You know that we're talking, you know, McDonald's and and you know, mass market, whatever whatever's cheapest that is most addictive kinds of things. How do you recommend people stay informed in the onslaught of all that? Is there a quick and dirty way that that you'd recommend or a fastest way? Because you've spent your career in this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I, you know, a part of it is about is about language and understanding what words the manufacturers are allowed to use, you know, and which really have meaning. I mean, the word natural is no longer really this like a green light for something that's safe um, because it's overused all over the place. And, you know, natural is used to describe products with GMOs, with certain, you know, quote unquote, natural flavors, which are derived from all kinds of weird stuff. Um, but you know, the, the other thing that you talk about and that our mutual friend, Dr. Mark Hyman talks about is just to avoid things that come in, in boxes and packages, you know, this idea of whole foods, not the supermarket, but you know, actual whole foods, you know, things that are fresh, things that aren't manufactured, things that aren't advertised on TV, you know, things, you know, things that grow in the ground or, you know, an animal protein or uh, uh, a pasture raised uh, grass fed dairy product, um, you know, to the extent that people can actually make that choice as, you, you know, you and I lead very li lives of, you know, filled with delicious food. Um, 
But in, in, in terms of packaging, um, I think it's important to look for organic. Um, I think it's important to look for non-GMO, the you know, genetically modified organisms like corn and other grains. Um, you know, I mean, those, those are the kinds of things that are sold at markets like Whole Foods, which jokingly sometimes people call your whole paycheck. Um, but most of, the, most of the marketplaces, at least in the United States, I realize we have listeners around the world, um, most of the markets in the States and even, let's say, North America, likely elsewhere in the world as well, um, that are not necessarily, quote unquote, health food markets do nonetheless have, with every passing day, more and more organic you know, choices. So, you know, to the extent possible, stay out of boxes and containers and bags. And if you are buying foods that are coming in boxes and, and containers with all kinds of flashy colors, you know, choose organic. One of the things that, that shocked me is I looked at the ingredients of ranch dressing, the organic 365 ranch dressing at Whole Foods, which is right. definitely a prepared, processed, packaged food now, ranch dressing is basically normally hydrogenated oil or some other kind of oil with the primary flavor being garlic and MSG. So to get that nice MSG tang, there were organic spiced extractives in that product. Now, that's organic MSG because you can make MSG from organic broccoli stems. You pour acid on them, boil them for a while, then you add lye and you can get MSG that way. I think you have to have some salt in there too. Okay. But, but that's kind of like, scary when you think about it. So you go there with a, a perception of wanting to make that right decision. And Whole Foods definitely has has an edge over a normal grocery store from at least offering health foods. But if the assumption is that, well, if it's here, it's going to be healthy. I found that I had to make sure that I was smart and informed. And I have, it's not that hard because that's kind of what I do because I'm a biohacker. But still, to catch that on a label Whereas before, oh, great, it's organic, it's ranch dressing, I like ranch dressing, I'm going to do it. It almost doesn't seem quite fair. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I can do nothing but agree and, and you know, align with that. Um, I mean, the fact that, I mean, I, and we could probably find, you know, comparable infractions on organic potato chips and organic yeah you know, all that stuff. So that, that's the thing. I mean, if it comes in a bag or a box, it needs to be preserved somehow. Those companies do do things to maximize the flavor profiles, you know, the experience that you have when you, you know, when it comes against your taste buds. Um, so they have not dispensed with those d different ways to make the food massively appealing, which is what you're pointing to. Um, so that's why ideally things in boxes and bags are, are, are sort of out of the game. You know, other than, okay. other than that, it takes a, a very deep level of, uh, of familiarity with the kinds of things you're pointing to right now for people to make choices that they feel good about. So if there's a set of health knowledge that people have and that, that guys like you and me are successful in helping to get the knowledge out there, there's still a gap between knowing it and then doing it. What is that gap in, in your understanding from the behavior con perspective and just your experience in, in creating some of the things you've created? Why are we doing that? What's the gap and how do we do something about it? Yeah. Well, it, you know, it's interesting, Dave. I mean, I have this philosophy that virtually everybody know, regardless of education level, regardless of whether they've ever read one health article, the conversation about healthy habits has been very, very present, at least in America and to my knowledge around the world 
for a long time. And so it's my belief that everybody could name at least one thing they should start and one thing they should stop, you know, the execution of which would, would improve their health and their longevity. I think everybody could name something because, you know, these practices have been so publicized and so omnipresent for a long, long time. So on some level, yes, there is such a thing as information that's better than other information, but in a way, there's no scarcity of information. Everybody can do something that would improve their, their physical body and their longevity. So, I, so, so in that sense, it's more, I think, a, a matter of psychology than it is about a lack of information. You know, m- most people have enough information to start doing something. Um, and so, you know, at that point, it becomes a sense of entitlement to, to a healthy body, to a long life. I, I, I don't know how else to, to frame that really, but, you know, people get stuck in their habits. Human beings are averse to change. They think it's hard. They don't want to suffer the pangs of missing out on what they've given up. There's a million reasons people have, most of them rooted in psychology, why they don't start. And if they do start, why they don't sustain the good things that they can do for themselves. And that's why even a per, it's just a percent of people who even achieve uh, meaningful weight loss that are, that are able to keep it off. So, and, and so I think the answer, the answers are more embedded in, in the psychology and our aversion to change and our ability to control our circumstance. And the, once again, the word you used earlier, control to, uh, to control our destiny. Um, you know, I know in, in the American culture, we assign so much of our destiny and our power outside of ourselves you know, to corporations, to uh, religious faith, to, you know, every, every, a lot of people assign their destiny and their power outside of themselves instead of taking it into their own hands. And that, that may be part of the psychology as well. It, it is. And there's some existential questions, you know, where, where does a higher power reside or does it, is it inside you? Is it a part of you? Is it outside you? And one of the the sort of strange things to bring up, but one of the the most powerful things I learned in my undergrad studies at UC Santa Barbara, I studied computer science, but I took a class from a religious scholar. He was a rabbinical scholar, and it was called Religion and Violence. And we studied Jim Jones and and how sometimes religion could lead to these incredibly violent wars and and things like that. And I stood up being kind of a young punk and, and I said, well, obviously the, these people are totally irrational. And this very learned man who taught the class stopped me and he said, you've made a, a grave error. He said, what they are doing is perfectly rational behavior if you believe in their assumptions. So what you perceive as irrational is actually just a question of the assumptions. And what you just said, Michael, reminded me of that because what we're talking about there is what are your core assumptions about you know where your control resides and you know what what is you and where is what you define as you where does it sit and it seems like that question which has plagued humanity for as long as we've been thinking about these things is is the answer to like like what assumptions do you make and what do those assumptions give you about control right right yeah it just uh, it, it's brilliant i get how i triggered you in that way and um you know, I, I think we see this around the world. You know, um, I'm, I'm not a theological scholar by any stretch of the imagination, but we do know that we have people all around the world that are assigning power, destiny, and control 
outside of themselves and, and, and also feeling good about it. Um, so that, that, that must have a lot to do with, uh, with choices at, at the personal level, um, in, including ways to, uh, uh, to honor our physical body. I, I'm very interested to see how the discussions at BehaviorCon, how they touch on this, because you know, I, I'm certainly you know, not a, a religious uh, podcaster by a long shot. And uh, when, I, when I get into you know, the realms of spirituality and or religion, those are a part of what puts people in, in a high-performance state. And some of the highest-performing people out there have a, at least a spiritual practice, if not a religious side to what they do. Mm-hmm. And the discussions around you know, how much advertising power does big food have or can I eat that or can I not eat that, at some level, those have a spiritual component to the answers. And that's a bit scary and it's also hard to quantify. Yeah. Any, any thoughts on spirituality and how that ties in with willpower and all these other things? I don't think so. I'm, I'm you know, transparently, I'm probably at the border of, of what I can, you know, responsibly talk about right now. Fair you know, point. I, yeah. I, I don't, I, you know, I, I think I've, I've, I've kind of like stretched myself. I mean, I might, I don't have anything else about that right now. Cool. But, um, but the, you know, the only thing I would add, if we could, you know, just going back a few minutes in, in terms of what people should be looking for as they try to make the, you know, healthy choices. Um, and look, we see this on TV, um, what we call consumer packaged goods marketers, people that market foods in cans, boxes, and packages, a lot, you know, processed food. They're always creating associations with the consumption of that food and great experiences, you know, sort of being with your buddies at the bar or being at the beach or a picnic with your family. I mean, the associations, the pleasurable associations are very vividly illustrated and portrayed. Um, so they're, you know, they're, they're looking to plant those kinds of anchor associations um, with foods. I mean, the soda, you know, Coke and Pepsi do that all day long. Um, so when you see that stuff, uh, in the market, you may not think about the commercial, but experientially and qualitatively, those memories are there. The associate, the positive associations are there. And sometimes those associations trump, you know, really like just squash the health considerations. Cause you think about it being cold and and a pleasurable taste experience and something that you do with all your friends. And it's like, it's, it's, you know, it's a, it's an addictive experience in, in the body. It's, it's socially pleasurable. They just, they'll, 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 uh, uh, you know, add every pleasure that they possibly can to the consumption of that food. And so, um, once you're mindful of that, um, you know, it, it just helps you to, once again, it's just one more ingredient in your awareness that you can just sort of have to, to be rigorous about your choices. Uh, that makes wonderful sense. We're coming up on, on the top of the show, and there's a question, Michael, that I've asked everyone who's been on the show, and that is, what are their top three recommendations for people who want to be higher performance in, in all domains of their life? So this doesn't have to be from your career or from anything else, but in you know everything that is, that is Michael Fishman, uh, what are the three most important things that you would share with other people who, who you know, want to be everything they can be? Wow. <laughs> Well, this, this, this part of the show will demonstrate that I did not know this question in advance. <laughs> That's okay. I don't want you to know in advance, but you know, just, just, you know, whatever comes to you is what's going to come to you. We get the most amazing answers this way. Yeah. Well, the, the first thing that comes to mind is to keep your word both to yourself and others. 
so that the, the thing, you know, be trustworthy with yourself. And that means if you, you know, if you say, I'm going to stop eating sugar on Saturday, then, that, then actually do it. And, and certainly the things you say to other people, you know, the, the integrity of our word is huge in our ability to cause results and in our ability to perform. So, you know, if you say to somebody, I'll meet you for lunch Tuesday at one o'clock and you can't deliver on that small pledge or promise why would you be able to deliver on your ability to deliver X amount of sales in all of 2013? The, the two are really the same in terms of the sanctity of your word. So, you, you know, we all train everybody in our external environment. We train people what to expect from us by the way in which we keep our word or don't. You know, there's a quote that I've seen on Twitter the last couple of days is, you know, if there's any degree of unreliability associated with you, nobody's going to ask you to do anything. You know, so so number one, which shows up in every area of your life, health, income, relationship is to be reliable and being reliable means means uh, keeping your word. Numbers two and three, <laughs> I think if I had 10, one through nine would be what I just said. <laughs> Numbers two and three. Goodness, Dave. <laughs> D- do I have to? <laughs> yes, you have to. You can't not do it. Come on. <laughs> well, I, I actually have an, I have another, this is an interesting one, which is um, whenever I'm offered water, I say yes. <laughs> I love it. That's cool. Uh, so, you know, because I drink a ton of water and other than bulletproof coffee and the once wine once a month, like really the only thing I drink other than bulletproof coffee is water. And, and I drink a lot of it, but I always feel like somebody else's offer of water is an opportunity to even raise that again. So if I'm offered water, I say yes. That's just a rule that I have. And uh, what would be number three? Goodness, goodness. You know, a, a lot of people talk about work-life balance. You know, I no longer, my own experience is that um, we're, you know, work and personal are all really one. Um, we're all one person We're you know, we're the, we're the same person wherever we, we're a human being, wherever we go and we're dealing with human beings, whether we're out with our friends or doing business somewhere. So I think that the third thing is be who you are, no matter where you are. Um, don't change your vocabulary. Don't come up with some sort of tone that you think business should sound like if you speak just be yourself. Be the same you wherever you go. And that way, um, you never have to worry. You know, if you're keeping your word and you're being the same you wherever you go and not creating different versions of yourself that you think should be in business or you think should be in social situations, you'll never have to worry about what you said to anybody and you'll never have to worry about how you act because you're, you know, you're just, you're bringing the best, most authentic you to everything that you do, um, and that will attract the business partners, the intimate partners, and the friends that uh, really are, are best matched uh, to who you are. I think that's a, a pretty good recipe for life as well. Michael, if you boil those three things down to, to a single word for each one, what, what I heard there was, number one was integrity, Number two was actually gratitude around acceptance of of things that are offered. And number three was authenticity. And those are some pretty awesome core values. I, I think you nailed it. Beautiful. I lo- and I love, I love what you got from what I said. Was, so I really, really appreciate that. Well, 
Thank you. And tell our audience where they can find out more about you if they'd like to learn more. Talk about BehaviorCon in particular because it's such a cool event. Sure, sure. Well, BehaviorCon, you know, Dave, as you know, and, and you know, many of our listeners, there have been many best-selling books about consumer behavior in the last few years, Freakonomics, The Tipping Point, Predictably Irrational, legitimate bestsellers, and no conference outside of the academic world to help business people, entrepreneurs, bloggers, authors, uh, marketers to understand how consumer behavior and consumer psychology drive effective marketing and help you accelerate your business growth. No conference existed. So myself and my co-founder, Ramit Sethi, created BehaviorCon. As you pointed out, it's two days in August in Stanford, Connecticut, August 23 and 24. Uh, two days of some of the smartest, most engaging people you'll ever hear or encounter on these subjects, including um, really super engaging, street smart professors from Harvard, Stanford, uh, and Georgetown University, B.J. Fogg, who I mentioned earlier, um, and also just a, a group of amazingly compassionate, smart, generous uh, entrepreneurs and CEOs who have mastered this kind of material and have applied it to awesome effect in their business. So it's, it's just, uh, you know, it's really the conference Ramit and I dreamed about and we, and we realized it didn't exist, so we went ahead and created it. And um, we're, we're really looking forward to... Uh, to seeing as many people there as possible. It, it, the value will be amazing. The, every speaker is aligned on providing a checklist with their talk of things that people can actually do to test and, and use what was provided on stage to grow their business. So that's at behaviorcon.com. And uh, for myself, michaelfishmanconsulting.com. There's a sign up there to, to receive uh, insights from me on occasion, my e-letter, and uh, certainly on Twitter, Michael Fishman. So I look forward to uh, supporting anybody that might want to reach out. Thank you, Michael. And for listeners, you'll find all those links and more on the show notes on bulletproofexec.com or just go to Michael directly. Have an awesome day, Michael. Dave, thank you so much. This was a real treat. Bye-bye. Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.